Hi, everyone. My name is Adam Nicholson, and welcome to the Help More People podcast, where our goal is to help spiritually conscious entrepreneurs find more clients and help more people. We have a very special show today with David Finkel. David is the CEO of Maui Mastermind, a business coaching company which helps business owners grow their companies and get their lives back. He's also a best-selling author of 12 business books and has syndicated columns on both Inc.com and Forbes. So welcome, David. Oh, thank you so much, Adam. It's a pleasure to be here today. Yeah. Well, let's just jump right in. And can you just start by telling us, how did you come to build Maui Masterminds? How did you get to this point in your career? That's a great question. So like many of your listeners here, um, I had built up a successful company that I sold in 2005. I was, I it got to the point where I really wasn't as passionate about that particular business anymore. It was a coaching company in a specific niche, and you know there wasn't a lot of challenge with it anymore. There wasn't a lot of like for me. I always loved about business was it's a puzzle, and that part was very satisfying. It was very fulfilling. Um, and I started asking the question, well, if I can do anything I want, which I, I have that option now, what what would I like to do? And so I started Maui Mastermind. And the idea behind the company was really, how can we help other people fall in love with their business again? Uh, so many people build a company and it becomes a job for them. And they become successful with it. And the more successful they become, it's almost as if the business needs them there more now. And so it feels like more weight on their shoulders. It feels like the business is more reliant on them. Yes, they might even have more overhead, more people who are counting on them. And some of the joy is gone. And so what I've always found fascinating is not just how to help grow a company. That's fun. But for me, the bigger challenge is if we work with the constraint of time, how can you have someone grow a company and actually them and their key people work a sane amount of hours? They're not working, you know, the average entrepreneur is working 70 plus hours a week, according to a recent um, study by the Covey Center for Creative Leadership in San Diego. And, you know, 72 hour work week is way too much if you ask me. So how can you do that doing, you know, 50 hours? How can you do that doing 35 hours? How can you do that doing 20 hours a week and build a, a really incredible company? And that's kind of what we did. I just started teaching what I had done before, some of which I, I fell into um, by accident. And then Adam, the bigger one for me was after I had kids, so my wife and I were late to, to having kids. I was 39 when we had our, our first kids, Matthew and Adam twins. I now have three. And uh, that changed. I used to be this really much more ambitious person. But after kids, my ambitions changed. I, I wanted to, to be present for my kids. I wanted to be there to, to really savor this experience of being a dad. It took us, my wife and I, Heather, what, almost five and a half, six years to get pregnant. Um, and so... That really pushed. Now, if I have a limitation, I'm not going to work past five o'clock at night. I'm going to get home and and make dinner for my my kids, and I'm going to be uh, making sure that I take ten or more weeks off with my family every year. Those constraints help us to refine how we went about growing and scaling companies at the same time, making them more owner independent. And so that's where mm -hmm. it came from. What were some of the biggest changes you had to make? It's interesting. So there were functional or practical changes that had to happen in the company. But the hardest changes, Adam, were actually those internal ones. Like I'll give one. I'm, I'm a control freak. I, what drives my desire for control is like a lot of business people out there. I, 
I feel really helpless or scared of the experience of being helpless if I can't do something. So sitting back and watching someone else do something where I don't feel like I have any sense of uh, input or control, it's hard for me. And so my first changes were, were, were learning how can I not just start handing off and delegating tasks, but how do I find a more comfortable way to give functional areas of ownership to parts of my business, to staff members, but, but not just to hand it to one person, um, because that felt, again, vulnerable to what happens if that person leaves, what happens if that person isn't doing a good job in that particular function, but to make sure I hand it off to a person who has a, a, a good system in place to follow with a, a simple control, whether it be a visual control like a, a scorecard or a report that shows me how it's going, or it has a procedural control that they know when they follow these steps in this order, they'll get the right result, or even what we call a, an embedded control area, Aaron, which is a, designing the system such a way that the default behavior is the right behavior from the very start. Um, and by doing those things, it allowed me to hand off, but all of it started off with just my willingness to to uh, to look at that dark spot in myself, in my own psyche. What was driving that behavior of being a control person? And, you know, fear stuff. I think any of your, your listeners here on the Help More People podcast are going to recognize that, you know, young experiences when we were younger become emotionalized. And over time, we don't even realize it, but they, they unconsciously drive behavior. So the first I would say is, for me, was this need to let go of the need to be in control of all of it. And that was a tough one and more of an emotional tough one than it was of a mechanics. The mechanics of doing it are actually quite simple once you let go of the bigger block, which is the emotional block. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true and something that we see so often, but so difficult, I think, for almost everyone to get to that point of getting over that fear and trusting yourself really it's not even about your staff but trusting yourself enough to step back two two things Aaron that helped me with that I'll just share it with your listeners one is when I really looked at the cost of my controlling behaviors you know turnover of staff that got tired of, of dealing with that or um, you know finding myself why am I working at night or on weekends why am I checking my phone here well, because quite frankly, I'm one who said that I would own this next step and, and, and then I've got all these other people who are waiting on me to do this step. And so that was one, looking at the real cost. Number two, which I found really helpful for me and I think it would be helpful for your listeners is when I started looking at all these things that were on my list to do that I knew that I was never going to get to, I started handing those off percent bet to other people, recognizing that even if they couldn't do it the same way I did, maybe they couldn't do it as well. They're 70% as well as me that got done is 100% better than my best that never actually got done. And that was really helpful too. That's a, that's a nice way to put it. I, following up on that, what, what advice would you give to the solopreneur who you know, may not have anyone to hand off work to and instead they just have this you know, never-ending wall that just keeps growing? Yeah. You know, everyone starts off as a solopreneur. I did. Um, most of our clients at one point did. And I'll tell you, the first place for them to start is just to look at like, you know, for example, let's say I had a company out there and I was, I was a really good practitioner in a particular healing art, you know, whether I was doing acupuncture or 
Um, I had a business that was really good at physical therapy or some business. Maybe it was uh, even in the world of accounting and it's just me. The first step I look at is I just break apart. What do I do that actually creates value from what do I do that takes time? And, And the distinction, we call this A, B, C, and D time. So you bear with me for a moment, Aaron, this idea of everyone's heard of the 80-20 rule. You know, 80% of what I do creates very little value. It only gives me 20% of the result. But that 20% of what I do gives me 80%. Think about that. It's four times less creating four times more. That's a 16 times differential there. Well, if you apply that same distinction once or twice more and you say if 20% of my results come, uh, 20% of what I do gives me 80% of the result. Well, 20% of that 20% gives me 80% of the 80%. And when I work the math out there, we call this D time is the low value, that that low value junk, the 80% mass that creates little. C time is that 20% that gives me a a, a leveraged return. But that 20% of the 20%, we call that B time. That's a sweet spot. That's me spending in, maybe it's 4% of my effort, giving me 64%. 64%. I'll, I'll do the math for your, your listeners on that. And so I just ask, what are the things that are my A and B time, the things that give me the most value? And generally, it's not the individual parts of actually, you know, for example, that acupuncturist treating a, a client. You know, that's not the highest value. That's probably C time for them. Low value administrative work that they're doing is probably D time. But the marketing that they're doing to bring in clients is probably B time. And yet, of course, what I see regularly is that solopreneur, it's a really hard balance for them between um, doing the actual work that they're getting paid for and all the other stuff around it. And what normally gets crowded out are those A and B level activities that could grow and expand the company. So the first step for a solopreneur is to say, can I get a part-time person to help take on some of those D-time activities, those activities like admin or or you know maybe it's uh, prepping the the materials or the rooms for the for the next day. Um, you know, massage therapists would have laundry. The CPA who's gathering materials from their client um, so they can prepare their tax returns. What I would say to this person is, hey, can I get somebody else, whether it's fifteen, twenty, twenty-five dollars an hour, to do these things so that I free myself up and I get back five or ten hours of my working week. As long as I reinvest those five or 10 hours in A and B level activities, my higher value activities, the trade-off, the ROI will be great. The issue is if I reinvest that time in more junk, or even if I invest it just in more seeing of a patient or, or taking care of a client, I'm not going to get into a week of some enough of a return to make it make sense. So if, I think if someone starts slowly with 10, 15, 20 hours a week of some help, and they realize, wow, this does make my life better, especially if I intentionally um, pour that reclaimed time back into nurturing my highest value activities. And my highest value activities are rarely just the direct doing of the, of the work that I do for a client. Then that will, in fact, help give you that next step up the rung of the value ladder. And then from there, you can do it again and again, one more rung at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like the way you laid that out um, with the different tiers of time. It's a nice delineation because, you know, we all we definitely all get stuck in that D-level time. And, and these days, it's not even that hard to, even if you are solo, you know, you can get a virtual assistant or 
you know, a part student from your local college or something like that. Uh, it's really easy to hand that off. Um, Absolutely. Going back, you know, I wanted to ask you, you know, you were talking about, you know, the average entrepreneur working 70 hours a week. At what point in your career, if you had one, David, you know, at what point did you realize you need to, to apply some of this to yourself? Great question. It's interesting. So first of all, I, I can remember the moment that I really had my epiphany. I'm, I was actually I'm working on a brand new book right now, and it was the opening chapter. I talked about it, but I'll tell you, I, I started on myself. I didn't start teaching these things. I didn't start telling people how to grow a company and reduce its reliance on them. Because early on, I didn't even know that was something you should do. I, I watched my grandfather and my dad. My dad was a, a doctor who used to work you know, on call every third weekend, every third evening. And, and I watched my grandfather who owned a, a retail store and had worked for seven days a week, 15, 16 hours a day for 40, 45 years with one extended vacation in there. And that was normal. So my family was always these self-employed people who just worked, worked, worked. So I started off by growing a company that way. And I was actually, I lived in San Diego at the time. And I had a, just bought what I thought was my dream house there in San Diego. And I'll tell you, I was sitting in the hot tub, which is the first time in about a year that I had ever gone in this hot tub because I had been so busy. I've been traveling probably two, two and a half weeks a month for this company. And I was miserable. I felt overwhelmed. Um, I felt drained. I felt cheated almost. Like I had started my company with the idea that 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 if I built it, that someday I could be you know more freedom for myself. But it was the opposite. I felt like everything put back on my shoulders. If I didn't do what I needed to do, my clients would be disappointed. Um, my staff. And we didn't have a lot of staff back then, but I did have a few team members that their livelihoods all came back to me. And I realized there had to be a better way to do this. And my business partner and I came up with this thought of, what would it be like if we built this company so somebody else might want to buy it? And our comment was, we can make a decision every year whether we want to buy it ourselves and stay in the company. And almost like a, a couple who's getting married and said, hey, every year we're going to make the decision to get married again and again and again, a really conscious, intentional decision. And so we started making some simple place parts. We created a list. I tell your listeners to create a list of what are the things in the business that you do not enjoy doing, the things that you find deadening, the things that you find numbing. And you create a list of 15 or, or, or so items on there. Ask, which are the easy ones to get off your list? Either you know, with that virtual assistant or a part-time helper or even a full-time helper that you could delegate to? Or could you stop doing them? I mean, I'll tell you, a lot of solopreneurs became collectors of different clients. I bet if I go back and look at your clients, and, and this would be to any of your listeners, there's probably three or four clients that they have that they hate working with. They're low margin, they're difficult, they're demanding. And often these are the earliest clients that we had before we really knew how to define our expectations and before we raised pricing. And what I would tell you is have a heart to heart with them. Hey, um, either we're going to need to raise pricing and have more realistic expectations about working together, or really you would be better served working with somebody else. And that's so scary. But when you do that from the perspective of this list of the items that really drain energy, 
and you go through and, and you don't have to deal with all of them. If I just deal with four or five, it's like I have this breath of freedom, this breath of air. And so I started with myself doing these things. And when I did that, I was like I, I took another step up the side of a mountain and I saw a little bit further. And then I took another step and another step. But those are some simple things early on. But it was all started, Aaron, with me in my business. And it was only probably 10 years later after having done that and gone through that process that I ever really first started teaching it intentionally to other people. Mm. Yeah, I really love that about taking taking a hard look at your clients and seeing if you can, if you can be honest and objective, you know, seeing who is profitable, who's draining your energy, who's giving you energy, and then having that conversation confronting it is so important. Yeah. For go ahead. I was going to say and it's, you know, I would look at three areas. I would look at my clients, customers, I would look at my products or services. Um, and finally, I would look at the, the the markets that I serve. So it might not just be my clients, but I, I see this all the time. Early on, they someone has you know five different product or service lines that they work with, but but one takes five times more energy, creates one third as much profit, and really should be either phased out or just stopped, um, so that that you can put and reinvest that energy. We call this putting your, your key areas on trial. So that would be the second. And the third and final one is the markets that you serve. You know, maybe it's I should serve um, uh, people who are uh, in a certain geographic area or maybe it's a certain market niche. And just being clean on that, not trying to serve and please everyone, especially for a solopreneur, because you don't have the ability to compete at scale in a large market. But what you have is you have the ability to intimately know a niche and to serve and to, to really customize your service or your product for a niche. And that's difficult for another company to come in and knock you out um, because they're going to come in and try to do it at scale, which means that they won't know your customers as well as you do. They won't know client interactions the way that you do. So that would be what I would share, Aaron. Yeah. So... Taking a step beyond that, uh, you know, let's just say the the person is just completely burnt out. They've worked themselves to death. They're unhappy mm. with everything. You know, what steps can we take to fall in love with our businesses again if we're at that low point of burning out? Yeah, I, I'll give three specific things. Number one, Adam, that there was a point in time where they loved their business. You know, maybe it was backed five years ago, 10 years ago when it felt novel and new, and maybe that doesn't that way right now. So if I can connect with what was it about the business that originally sparked my passion for it? And is there a way that I can bring back that piece? You know, for me, I gave the example that I, that my old company, I just, it was boring. I, I, I already had solved the puzzles of it. Well, I was able to take the same business and go to a much larger marketplace and now I had new puzzles to solve. So that was a way for me to rekindle the passion. The second thing I would say is um, just to, to pause and ask yourself, what are the parts of the business that you don't enjoy again? And how can you start getting those either um, delegated or even better, just design them out? The clients you don't work with, the, the markets you don't serve. Um, and then the final piece of advice I'd say about falling in love with your business again 
is if we think about this as a step-by-step process, if we think about this as an incremental inching towards making every quarter the business a little bit less reliant on you, and ultimately that's going to require that you have some staff, whether they're contractors, part-time, full-time, doesn't matter, and it's going to require that you have some, some systematization for what you do, and it's going to require that you have simple controls in place that when you hand off an important function to somebody else, that they can self-manage and you can be sure by looking or or seeing something in there, a scorecard in some way, a checklist that's being followed, that you know the right thing was done at the right time to produce the right result for the business. And those combination of simple steps every quarter, I, I think what matters, Aaron, is not that we ever build a company overnight that's owner independent, but that we see progress. I think what really burns people out is they feel like there's no end in sight. And I'll tell you from working with thousands of clients over the last 20 years, as long as they see that things this quarter are better than last quarter, they can see a, 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 a light at the end of the tunnel and know and trust that if they keep on this pathway in two years or in four years, they really will have a business that is much more in alignment with what they love again. I think people are willing to do that, to invest that part. It's just when they feel stuck and like nothing is making a difference, that's what really I think emotionally causes that storm of, of, of despair or apathy around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So important to change perspective and see that. Um, but e- much easier said than done, I think for mm-hmm. some of us. Um, so David, I know you talked a little bit about this at the beginning of the show, but you know, for you, work is a choice. And, you know, what is keeping you active in your company? What what fuels your desire to keep working? Great question. And I'm hoping for any listener here that there's something that they can identify their why behind it. For me, there are probably three things. Number one, I've tried to retire. Um, it didn't fit me very well. I I I found myself getting bored. I like for me um, the puzzle. I like for me the drive. That's one that the, the of learning and growth. The second thing that that drives me is I really want to make a contribution. And I think that means look, help more people. <laughs> the very theme of this podcast, the idea behind it for me. I think that outside of being a good dad and a good husband the place that I'm going to have the largest impact on the world is through my business. And, you know, I touch thousands of lives directly and indirectly through these businesses, hundreds of thousands. And ultimately before I die, I'm hoping millions of lives. That to me, when I remember that, and I don't always remember it, there are days when, you know, I hear something from a vendor or I hear something from a team member and uh, that moment, I forget that. But when I remind myself about the other impact, it, it feels extraordinary. Um, and whether that impact was for someone listening here that it's 25 people I interact with this month and help and serve in my company, or whether it's 25,000, it doesn't matter. That for me is something that really feeds my soul. And then the final one for me is I have a drive in me to create. Um, I, I like to draw. I'm not wonderful at it yet. I'm getting better at it. Um, but the place I feel most creative for me whether it be in writing new books or creating new workshops for clients or um, 
creating new programs for business owners. That's a place that for me feels really enlivening. And matter of fact, on weekends or an evening, if I have a little bit of extra time, I love reading new books and thinking, how would I teach that idea? And how would I combine that in a novel way? And I've, I've been doing that since, what, for 35 years before I even started in business. That to me was always something that I found really fulfilling. So that that's what keeps me doing the business, Aaron. Oh, that's really wonderful. I love all of that. Um, and yes, I think s- staying creative, keeping that creative spark going is so important. And it's so easy to fall by the wayside, especially as an entrepreneur. When you are working 70 hours a week, there is just no time to do those things. And you do lose your perspective, your focus, and and that time to be creative. Well, David, for our last question, I just wanted to ask, you know, if there were, what are three ideas you would most want the listeners to take with them that would help them begin to build their own better business? Yeah. I think the very most important idea, the one idea, if you left with nothing else, but this one idea would would give you value for having listened for the last 20, 30 minutes would be that it is absolutely doable to build a business versus just owning a job. Um, I shared with you that originally I didn't know that was possible for me. Um, yet now over the last 15 years, as I've watched clients do it and clients that started off as solopreneurs or with two or three employees or contractors and have grown their company. So number one, it's doable and that should be your target because you can help and serve more people. And you can have a much richer, better life for it. Second takeaway I would really want them to leave here with, just take that simple idea. What are the parts of the business that you don't enjoy? The parts that are draining? Create it onto a list. First of all, just writing it down takes some of the poison or sting away from it because it's it's feeling bound when we see it on paper versus it being this uh, anxiety-provoking, amorphous thing in the, in, in the shadows of our mind. And when I have that list, I can ask, what are two or three things that in the next 60, 90, 100 days that I could take away by delegating or by designing out? And then the third and final one, I would really encourage your listeners to take some simple steps to start learning more about this idea of building a business as opposed to creating a self-employed job, how to escape that self-employment trap. And you know, podcasts like this are a great way of doing that. I'll give one more resource here. If any of your listeners want to get to our website and, and download a free copy of Build a Business, Not a Job, we have that available for them. It's a book that I wrote in the last, the third edition just came out, gosh, about a year ago um, at, at MauiMastermind.com. They can easily do that. But that idea, just little bits of learning about how can I build a business that's independent of me, the owner? And it is absolutely doable for, for your listeners. Absolutely doable. Wow. Well, thank you so much for that, David. And thank you for your time on this interview. And I'm glad you got to plug the book. I was about to mention it. But for everyone, <laughs> just uh, just one more time, it's definitely head over to David's website at MauiMastermind.com. Just click on free resources and you can download his book, Build a Business, Not a Job. And... Um, David, thank you again. And would you please just take a few moments to to plug your services, tell people where they can 
uh, find your website, your services, your books, and whatever else. I really appreciate that. So if someone's listening and you're thinking, gosh, I would really like to learn more about how can I grow my company to be independent of me over time, not an overnight thing, um, www.maui, M-A-U-I, mastermind, M-A-S-T-E-R-M-I-N-D.com. I would suggest there are three resources that are on there for free, but the, the best one to start with would be that book, Build a Business, Not a Job. If you are more video-based or audio auditory in your learning, there is a free toolkit on there, which includes about 15 or 16 free videos that are anywhere from five minutes to 35 minutes. That's another possibility. And then the last thing is, who do we actually work with? We generally work with, with companies that are half a million dollars or more in revenue um, that want to grow profits and revenue, but do it in a way that makes the company less reliant on the owner. And we've been coaching business owners in a structured way doing that for over a decade now. Excellent. Well, David, thank you very much. This was invaluable. These were invaluable insights, and uh, we hope to have you back soon. Thank you very much, Adam. I really appreciate it.